awesome to be able to gather and uh, be in this place and worship the Lord together. Uh, don't run the clock yet. Just give me a few minutes. I'm not going to take the mic here. Are we all doing? Are we all doing okay? Yeah? Everybody over here doing okay? Yeah? You're all getting nervous now, aren't you? <clears throat> I can tell. Andy's already said it, but I, I, I am just so glad that we um, have the opportunity to gather together. And God's got so much that he wants to do in and through us. And uh, don't think that it's always going to be that God's just going to use those who we think are more special or more spiritual or, you know, the brightest and whatever. Because that isn't how God works. God wants to use every single one of us. And uh, some of us can often come into places like this and think, I'm not good enough. And Well, the reality is none of us are good enough. That's why Jesus had to come. None, I'll say that again. None of us are good enough. That's why Jesus had to come. And uh, the reality is he wants to use every one of us. You guys are awesome. Do you believe that? Some of you do, some of you don't. And I say that very seriously. Some of you do not believe that you are awesome, but I want you to know you are awesome this morning. Whatever's going on in your world, whatever good or bad, I want to tell you that you are awesome. You're blessed of God. We've heard it this morning. You're fantastic. Do you receive all these words? You're amazing, Di. Di will just receive it all because that's just what she does. Pam, you're fantastic. You just need to receive encouragement, amen? And just allow that encouragement to wash over us in a, in a discouraging world. Who's been discouraged this week? Who's had, who's had, look how many, who's had things said or mentioned to them and like, not that hasn't been helpful. Just raise your hand. You know, that's why we need to keep the people, this is why we're different, Terry. We speak encouragement over one another, don't we? We, we bless one another. There's power in our words. And uh, I just want us to encourage, keep encouraging us to do that in Jesus' name. And it will build something in this, in this house that's, that needs to keep building a, a culture of honour, a culture of blessing, a culture of encouragement. Are you hearing me this morning? Yeah. We don't come in if we feel discouraged. This is the place where you want to be on a, on, a, on a morning. When you feel discouraged, not, oh, I don't want to go to church because I, want to be, I don't want to be even more discouraged. That's how some churches are like. But actually, you come to church and you want to be encouraged. I know this is where I need to be. I know I need to be in God's house because I'm going to receive an encouraging word in Jesus' name name so I just wanted to say you're awesome and we need to get our work boots on ready for the next three weeks because we've got lots happening and don't be thinking that oh well I ain't got kids and I ain't got grandkids here so I won't bother coming because it's bedlam no 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 it's awesome we need you here those who call this home you create an atmosphere that we need we need you here every single week over these next few weeks we need you to just press in and we also need to get you invited as Andy said get invited use those cards use those invitations go and talk to your neighbours and your colleagues and, and your work friends and get them in, you know invite them and get them along for those Sunday services. Amen? Wonderful. Well, it is my joy to be able to talk with you. This is the last part of the series that we're calling RSVP. I'll get it right this time. It's Responde, see vous play. Last week, for those who were here, I said, reply, see vous play. I knew, I knew where I was going with it, guys. Don't think I'm stupid. And, yeah, right, okay. <laughs> Responde, see if you play. You know, when you, when, you, when you invite somebody along, 
you normally put it on the bottom. And basically what it's saying is, please reply or please respond. And over these next few weeks, we have an opportunity like no other to invite people. Not just to this church, but for them to experience something that's different. Something that's life-giving. I've already said, there are so many environments that are not life-giving, they are life-sapping. But this is a life-giving environment. We believe that. We always want to keep building a life-giving environment. This is a great people, a great place for people to come. So it's my joy to be able to just share on this week, just talking a little bit further about RSVP. Last, I'm not going to recap on last week if you weren't here. For those who weren't here, I just encourage you to listen to the pod- podcast as I just talked around three areas with regards to connecting and just for people to encounter the presence of Jesus and telling your story. But this today, this day, what I want to really hone in in is the whole thought of the way that we live our lives points people to Jesus. Well, actually, the way that we live our lives should point people to Jesus. Oftentimes, the way we live our lives can actually take people away from Jesus. It was reported that St. Francis of Assisi, who was the founder of the Franciscan monks, said this, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. You know, so oftentimes, you know, people are watching our lives, how we live. I'm not talking about perfection here. But I once heard Brian Houston say this, everything about you says something about you. You've heard me say that before. Everything about you says something about you. And there's always somebody watching. If you've got little kids, they're watching how you behave. I see my kids say things and I think, flipping heck, I know where that's come from. Straight from me. You know, they're just, they're just copying good or bad what we say. And people are watching our lives And our lives should be an invitation. Because the reality is this. There was some research that was done about four or five years ago. And there was a book that was written about it that was was titled Unchurched Next Door. And out of the research, they found that 82% of those unchurched people are at least somewhat likely to attend church if they're invited. 82% said that they would be somewhat likely to come to church if they were invited. So we have a group of people, you see, people tell us people don't want to come to church, people don't want to know about God. I want to say that is a lie. If you're here this morning first time, maybe thinking, what am I doing here? It's because you have an interest around Arena Church or somebody's invited you or you've got a deep longing in your heart and you're looking for something. That's typical of people outside. Think back to where you were. You had a longing in your heart. That's why you came to Jesus. You were searching. We used to sing a song that was searched around the world and you're my only hope. There are people who've searched in all different religions and and, and cultures and all different philosophies and theologies and they've realized that actually the truth is this. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life, you can only get to God through me. They've realized that. And there are people who are searching. There are people who are looking and we've believed the lie, and Arena Church, we're increasingly, uh, you know, untangling that lie that says people don't want to come. They do want to come. The point is this, we've got to get invited. We've got to get to the point where we invite people. Because if we were to invite them, I want to say our Sunday services would be filled to capacity week after week after week after week. And I am so grateful here in Arena Church, we've got so many of you who invite people.
some people are here for the first time this morning. And you get out there and you just invite and you encourage people. And I'm so grateful by, by that. But it needs to be all of us carrying this responsibility that each of us are inviters. And not just by how we speak, but how we live. But I think sometimes the reason why we don't get to the point of invitation is because we get caught up with other things. You see, what we do, we fill our lives to capacity. We believe the lie that we can have it all. We believe the lie that we can have it all. What do I mean by having it all? We can have the, the, it all by, we can have the career, the high-powered career. We can have the money, we can have the toys, we can have the cars, we can have the clothes, we can have the holidays, and we can have that with kids and, you know, with a wife and, or with a husband. And we can have it all, we can have it all. Just do more, pack more in, you can have it all. I want to tell you, that is a lie. Because to have it all, you will automatically and you, you will absolutely have to lose in some areas. If you have it all, something loses. And I want to apply this. You may say, where are you going with this, Christian? I just need, felt like compelled to just put this in. Because I know we're talking about how we can connect with people and, and just in this season. But I think this is one of the reasons why we don't get to the point of invitation because we're so busy filling our lives with other stuffs. We don't think about those who are far away from Jesus. It's not that we don't mean to, but we get caught up with other things. And if we believe that we can have it all, something will automatically lose and we can apply this to our everyday lives, our work, our home, our church, our marriage, whatever. I was reading a book while I was away. It was a birthday book. Chris and Julie had bought it for me. And it was called Essentialism. Sounds a bit mystical, but it wasn't. It was just a brilliant book. And in this book, this guy noted that less... Sorry, he put it this way. Another way of putting it rather than having it all was less, but better. What he was talking about this was the disciplined pursuit of less. It's a really valuable book for me and Julie actually said she sent a message to Caroline because we're away when we got it. I wasn't saying anything when I sent him the book or, you know, because he talks about stripping back and I said to Caroline, tell her, there's no, I'm, I'm not worried, I'll just read the book. It was talking about the disciplined pursuit of less and I realised something, that if we are going to be a church that really reaches out lost to lost people, we've got to cut some stuff from our lives because we get caught up in lots of stuff that actually isn't overly essential. Let me take the word priority for a moment. It'll come on the screen. Priority. It's a bit of an English lesson for you after a bit of research that was done. And some of you love English and you know, you, you've written books. We've got Pastor Colin here and he's written many books. And, and there's others of you who probably like to write books. And some of you are great with words and grammar and all the rest of it. I'm useless with all of that stuff, by the way. But this is my research. This word priority came into the English language back in the 1400s. And it was singular. Its, its use was purely singular. Because this is what it means. Priority means very first or prior thing. Just use the word very first. Everybody say very first. Priority means very first. Do you get the idea that this is really, really important? It's the very first thing. And for the next 500 years, all we had was the singular priority. But in the 1900s, we started using, pluralizing this word to become priorities. 
Don't you think there's a certain irony to that thought of priorities? Because how can you have many very first things? You can't. It's illogical. The, 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 the reasoning behind it that we change the world so we can bend the reality. We change the word because we want to bend the reality that there can be many very first things. Actually, there can only be one very first thing. It's called a priority. And I want to take you for a moment to the words of Jesus, if I may. Because in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, Jesus had just been in an interesting conversation with Zacchaeus. In fact, we we heard about Zacchaeus in in, in, our, in our Sunday uh, service in Mansfield, Paul, one of our leaders, was just leading the meeting and he used the thought of onlookers. And Jesus had, if you don't know the story, I just encourage you, it's found in Luke and in the New Testament. And as Jesus was typically doing, he was just walking around, doing what he normally did, just connecting with people. And there was a really short guy, don't want to have a go at short guys here today, so I'm not looking at anybody in particular. But there was a short guy he wasn't well liked because he was really taken from his own people because he was a tax collector. And he was not liked at all. But he climbed this tree because he wanted to see Jesus. And Jesus spotted him, knew his name, and invited himself to his house. And this man then said, you don't, you've got to read into it because you don't get any more dialogue. But there must have been some interesting conversations that took place. All I do know is that Jesus didn't preach at him. He didn't preach at him. He said, I want to come and enjoy some food with you. Can we go and have some? Because I think he thought to himself, I'm going to get a good lunch here down at Rich Zacchaeus' house. There's going to be M&S food and Sainsbury's and the finest foods here. So I'm going to go and enjoy some grub. You may say, give, give her. No, I think that's how Jesus was. Hey, boys, we're in, for a, hey, we're in for a good meal here. So they met with Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, as a result of the conversation, then he says, says to, the, to the people, look, if I've taken anything from anybody, I'll repay them double. And then Jesus says, salvation has come to your house, Zacchaeus. And then he goes on to say, this was his purpose. This was Jesus' first thing. This was his priority. For the Son of Man, speaking of himself, came. Look at the highlighted word. To seek and to save the lost. In those words, he summed up the whole mission of him coming to earth. You're going to hear a lot about Jesus born of a baby in the few weeks. But this is where I, I want to shake people. and it, I, I understand they don't know because nobody's ever told them. It's not about the baby born in the manger. It's about the mission of the baby. God sent his son, born of a virgin, because he had to experience life like we would experience. He was tempted in every way. And he he overcome all those temptations. He was without sin. And the whole purpose why Jesus came, because he knew that he wasn't just going to be born. He knew he was going to have to die a cruel death. He knew it from the very beginning. And Jesus was telling the guys there, I came, why? To seek and to save lost people. That is my priority. That is my very first thing. But the point is this. We lose sight of 
God's priority and the church loses sight of God's priority because we get caught up in a million and one different things. The reasons why we don't invite, let me give you three things. First of all, we lose the wonder. We lose the wonder. Anybody here get really miserable about Christmas? You think, oh, it's humbug. Oh. Keith, put your hand down, okay? <laughs> we all know you're miserable about most things. Angela's told me. I'm joking. <laughs> we can easily lose the wonder. You all, you've all had this shiny new dress or pair of shoes or you know, car or whatever it is and it's like pristine and you're looking at it but within a few weeks, months those beautiful shoes that you've cherished you've saved all your money for you just throw in the cupboard like the other pair, yes? Why is that? Because we lose the wonder. I, I, I once preached a series many years ago we were once lost in wonder now we've lost the wonder. I want you to just draw your attention to a verse of scripture in 1 Corinthians in chapter 11 and from starting at verse uh, 23. And it talks about there, it'll come on the screen in a moment. And basically Paul is talking about the whole thing to do with breaking of bread and the Holy Communion. And he talks about how each uh, part represents something. So, you know, his, the bread is his, his body that was broken and, and, and the blood, you know, and the cup is, is him representing his blood that was shed at Calvary on the cross. And this is what it says, Paul goes on to say, following on from just that little introduction, he says this, what you must solemnly realise is that every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you reenact the words and actions, the death of the master. You will be drawn back to this meal again and again until the master returns. Listen, look at the highlighted words. You must never let familiarity breed contempt. Just leave that on for a moment. The whole point of why we encourage the, the whole thought of breaking of bread and we do it monthly in our Sunday service and we encourage it to happen through our small groups and wherever you can break bread. It's because we never want to lose the wonder of what happened when Jesus hung upon a cross for every one of our sins, for the sins of the whole world. And oftentimes, Paul was realizing that people were coming to that meal time and they were treating it with contempt because they had become too familiar with it. They had lost the wonder. Can you remember what you were like before you knew Jesus? Can you remember how broken you were? Can you remember how bruised you were? Can you remember the ways in which you thought and lived and the things that you did? You may say, Christian, we're told to forget the former things. I understand that. But actually, for me, it's good to remember where I came from, what, what was going on in my life. Because at that point, I don't lose the wonder. As soon as I forget what I was like, I begin to lose the wonder of the cross. I'm beginning to lose the wonder of this great, amazing grace that He speaks over our lives. Are you hearing me this morning? And oftentimes, we don't keep the first thing. It's because we lose the wonder. What a price He paid. What a transaction. 
You know, we had disturbed minds and now he gave us peace. We're in pain and healing came to our lives. We're in gross darkness. Some of you were in gross darkness because I know some of your stories. It was evil. And light came. Some of you were guilt-ridden. Your heads were down. And yet received freedom. Some of you were incredibly bitter. And yet forgiveness has flowed. What a transaction. We have to guard ourselves against this familiarity because we can easily lose the wonder in terms of drawing others to Jesus. But listen to me, just as an aside, you get this for free. Let's make sure that we don't become familiar with relationships. Let's make sure we don't become familiar with this church. Let's make sure we don't become familiar with that which is God and actually we begin to think, well, there's something better over there. Let me tell you, I'm not talking about the church now. You know, we often lose the wonder and then we begin to think that everything over there is better because we've lost a sense of perspective. Are you hearing me this morning? We must maintain that we keep the wonder of Jesus. The second thing is we can oftentimes, we fill our lives with stuff, we lose the wonder, but we can also become distracted. Oh, so easily distracted. There was a story that Jesus was explaining in Mark chapter 4 and verse 18 to 19 and he begins to just unravel the story about the the seed the seed is God's word that Jesus was speaking and that I'm speaking today and he began to describe there are three kinds of environments that this seed of God's word can be planted in the first um, soil is good soil That's healthy soil. That's soil that's ready to receive the word. And Jesus says that that kind of soil produces a harvest and continues to produce a harvest. And thanks be to God that we've got good soil here. In many of your hearts, you've received God's word gladly and you're producing a harvest. And that's wonderful. But he also talks about the second kind of seed, which uh, soil, which is the shallow soil where the seed doesn't really get planted in too much. And what happens is the birds of the air come and just take that, that, that seed away. And we've seen that in people's lives, where people have gladly received and then they've dr- drifted and wandered. It's because the seed hasn't been planted. But then there's a third kind of, of a soil that Jesus talks about. And that's what I want to comment on about this whole thought of becoming distracted. Because it's soil that's covered with thorns and weeds. Thorns and weeds. And this is what it says in Mark chapter 4 and verse 18 through to 19. It says there, the seed that fell amongst thorns represents others who hears God's word, but all too quickly, the message, listen, is crowded out. It's been distracted. What is it distracted by? The worries of this life, the lure of wealth and the desire for other things. Listen, if you think you can have it all, read the verse again. And then Jesus said, and if those kind of soil, no fruit is produced. Listen, I'm asking us in this whole thought of how do we, you know, just live out the, out the gospel in, in this world. We must not lose the wonder and we must not become distracted. Listen, it's so easy to become distracted by all of those things. That's why Jesus comments on it. The worries of this life, the lure of wealth and the desire for other things. I'm already getting very, very weary of all the adverts. I was very weary on the lead up to this Black Friday 
and even up to today, because there's all these stores, it's there till Sunday, become very uh, weary. And listen to me, I'm not against shopping. You'll often see me out and I've got no problem with shopping. What I do get a little bit concerned about is it's just this lure for more, the desire for other things. We've got to have more. We've got to have more in our lives. Why? We've already got so much anyway, haven't we? Most of us here have got more than enough. So why do we need more? And some people just fill their lives with getting more, getting more, getting more, bigger, better, and they become so easily a distraction. This is what it says in the message, sorry, in Proverbs 4 verse 23, because it reads there, above all else, guard your heart. This is what it says in, 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 the, in the message version. It says this, keep vigilant watch over your heart. That's where life starts. Don't talk out both sides of your mouth. Avoid, avoid, avoid careless, careless banter, white lies and gossips. Next verse. Keep your eyes straight ahead. Ignore all sideshow distractions. We've, we've got to guard this. Because we don't mean to, but we come so easily distracted let me move quickly because the third thing is this we don't we don't just lose the wonder and become distracted but it's the curse of busyness now I'm not advocating that we do nothing because I hear some people say I'm not going to become busy and yet they don't do anything I was taught by a good man by the name of pastor George Ridley and his favorite verse was this all hard work brings a profit (laughs) That's what he taught us. If you work hard, you will profit. It's in the Bible. It's a, mess, it's a message. The business world do it really, really well. Churches are starting to grasp onto it that actually it's hard work that will bring profit. Things don't just drop out the sky. Hello? The, the community, uh, Belfield Street, didn't just drop out of nowhere, did it, Lisa? It's been hard work. This church, leaders, we know it's hard work. It takes to do what we've done. It's hard work. It's hard graft. The finances, admin team, you all shout out, this is your chance. It's hard work, in it? Running all that we're doing, all the pastoral care. Those who lead small groups, it's hard work. Hello? Nothing just happens. But we must be careful with the curse of busyness. Socrates said this, beware of the barrenness of a busy life. What we've got to do is we've got to learn to say yes to less many years ago somebody taught me no is just another word and we have to learn that some people to hear don't like the word no we teach our kids that they have to get used to it and yet we don't like it ourselves we have to lay it in and we've got to learn at times people will say no to us God sometimes will say no to us. Because we have to learn to say yes to less. I won't read this. But you'll find in the story in Luke chapter 10, Jesus goes into a, one of his favorite homes. It was Lazarus and there was Mary and there was Martha. Some of you will know it. Mary was sat at the feet of Jesus. But Mary, he records in Luke chapter 10 that Mary was busy doing her work. And she, she got really frustrated because I'm doing all this work and look at what I'm doing and all the rest of it. And Jesus said, Mary has chosen a better thing. At that particular point, Martha should have just downed tools and spent time 
with Jesus. We can easily become distracted and we can easily become busy. While I was away, there was just three things that happened. Sorry, there was three questions that I asked myself while I was reflecting on some of this, what I was reading and whatever. And I haven't got time to really repeat them. But this is what I've begun to ask myself. Question number one under this whole thought of busyness. What few things, if I focused upon, could I dramatically improve? What few things, if I focused on, could I dramatically improve? I wasn't thinking about this church necessarily. I was thinking about my marriage. Thinking about my kids. Thinking about my relationships with people. And then I also thought about the church and the ministry. Secondly, what should I do less, less of, for the better? What do I need to do less of so that becomes better? And it was interesting. I had lunch with a prophet before we went away. And he said to me, I was been praying about you because I knew we'd got lunch with, Caroline and I was meeting with him and his wife. And, and he just said, the Lord's just began to speak to me and you've got to really focus on, and he just began to speak about some things. It was fascinating. It just his thoughts and his insight. And then obviously just going away and reflecting and just feeling a stirring. And it was around that whole thing of what actually do I need to do less of so I can concentrate on that which I should be concentrating on. Because if not, we just become too busy. And thirdly, what's exceptionally valuable to me? Just get that. What's exceptionally valuable to me? I know I'm talking about inviting, but those who are married here, your, your, your partners are, should be exceptionally valuable to you. Your kids and your grandkids are exceptionally valuable to you. Now, I know you've got to cut, ba- ba- balance that off with everything that you're doing, but they are, the, they are the most valuable things beyond your career, beyond your money, beyond your house, beyond your cars. They're valuable to me. I want to say, if I can say this, you guys are incredibly valuable to me. This church is incredibly valuable to me. It's precious to me. The church at large is incredibly valuable and precious to me. Because Jesus loves it. So I want to love the things that Jesus loves. Therefore, I need to make sure that I give myself to those things. We need to be careful that we don't become so consumed by busyness and distractions and losing the wonder that we lose sight of what we should be doing. And this is what we should be doing. Let me get it down to where we are here very quickly in these last few minutes. I want to just read a big portion of Scripture. We're just going to read through it. And it's found in Luke in chapter 10 and verse 25. We're going to read first few verses in the NIV and then we're going to go to the message. You'll know the story well, most of you, because Jesus says this. Jesus answered them by telling a story. Sorry, can we go back to the other verses from the New International? That would be helpful um, because that's the, the, the message. Yeah, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? There's another, in Matthew, it records, there was a man who came to him and said, what is the first and greatest commandment? Remember, first and greatest commandment. It's the same sort of thing that he was asking. And Jesus answered this. What does the law of Moses say? And how do you read it? Let's carry on reading. The man answered, you must love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And then the second is this, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And Jesus said, right, do this and you will live. 
Let me draw you back to the first thing that I was talking about. The first thing is the priority. Jesus was again explaining the priority that he came into the world to seek and save lost people. And then he was talking to a religious person and said to him, what you need to do is you need to love God with everything that you've got. And then out of that overflow, you'll begin to love others as you love yourself. And then he begins to tell a story. Let's go to it, Jordan, now the story Because Jesus started then thinking, I've got to explain this a little bit better. So he said there, there was once a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And on the way, he was attacked by robbers. Does anybody know the story here? Give me a wave if you know this story. We'll still read it. They took his clothes, they beat him up, and they went off, leaving this man half dead. So he'd really been duffed up. This man smacked to pieces, left for dead. But luckily, that's a strange word, isn't it? Luckily in a priest, I quite like that. But anyway, the connection. Oh, to Bashar, a little bit of luck. Anyway, there we go. So, luckily, a priest was on his way down the same road. Of course, it's lucky because the priest will take care of him. But now, when he saw this man, he angled himself across to the other side. So, he just walked, saw him, thought, I'm not having anything to do with that. Yes? Second, then let's move on. Then there was a Levite, a religious man. I mean, these were the teachers. These were the... People looked up to them, the Levites, wonderful men of God. And he showed up and he saw this man beaten on the road. And he too avoided the injured man. This is bizarre. These are religious people. Why? Because they realized he was a Samaritan. They didn't like the Samaritans. They'd have nothing to do with the Samaritans. They couldn't stand the Samaritans. Couldn't stand the sight of them. But then... We see a Samaritan traveling the road came on him. And when he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. He gave him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds. Let's move on. Then he lifted him onto his donkey, led him to an inn and made him comfortable. In the morning, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take good care of him. If he costs any more, put it on my bill. I'll pay you on my way back. What do you think? Which of these three became a neighbor to the man who attacked these, by these robbers? The one who treated him kindly? The religion, religion scholar responded. Let's leave that on the screen. And then he says, go and do the same. You see, it's not just about giving an invitation of a card. And we need to do that. RSVP. It's about the way that we live our lives. And Jesus was very, very clear on the first thing. Love, love God. And then out of this, you'll love those who are very different to you. Do we love those who, are, who we're prejudiced towards? Do we love those who are not like us? Do we love those who have been an enemy of ours? These are some of the things that Jesus would want to speak to us this morning about. Because if we're going to express God's love into this world, we need to do it like Jesus has said, which is to love those people who are different to us, who we're not meant to like. And yet God says, I need you to love them. Because this is what happens, last verse, in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, you may say, well, how do I express this love? This is what it says. In the New Century Transversion, he says, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly. To love mercy and to walk humbly. The New Century trans, 
version says this, to do what is right to other people, to love being kind to others, and to live humbly, obeying your God. I'll repeat those again because I think the worthy of us saying, well, how do we express this love? How do we show God's love? How do we, how do we point people to Jesus? How do we really connect with people? We do it by fairness. By fairness. To do what is right to other people. Quickly, how fair are you with other people? How fair am I with other people? Do I act with fairness? Or am I blunt and brutal? Do I expect higher standards than others than I'm willing to give of myself? Am I a bit hypocritical? And yet we hear this, this is what God requires of us to do what is right to other people. Secondly, he then says we need to love being kind to others. For me, that just shows kindness and compassion. It's very easy over this Christmas season. It's one thing I love about Christmas because you just do find that last two days leading up to Christmas Eve, people tend to be a little bit nicer in the cars. (laughs) Tend to be a little bit more charitable when they're in the shops. Sometimes. (laughs) And yet it seems to be that once Christmas ends, everybody goes back to being unkind and unfair and uncharitable and not compassionate. I'm not talking about weakness. I'm talking about just being kind, showing kindness to others. Please, are you hearing me this morning? Loving people, being kind to others. And the third thing that we can do, I think, which will really represent Jesus well, is love humbly, obeying your God. Which means that we just walk with humility. We're not bigging ourselves up. We're not bragging off. We're not being big heads. We're not taking the credit to ourselves. It doesn't all become about us. Phil often says it doesn't care who get the, gets the credit. And it really doesn't care, matter who gets the credit. But oftentimes, it does. Yet increasingly, if we're going to express Jesus to this world, we'll do that by fairness, by kindness, and by humility. Matthew 5, verse 16, and I'll finish, says this. Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I honestly believe that if we will take these principles to our heart and hold them dear to us, not allowing ourselves to lose the wonder, becoming distracted, living with busyness, but if we will keep the priority of the first thing, which is loving God and then loving our neighbors as we love ourselves and then expressing that through these three ways, then I believe we will see great impact made across Ilkeston and Mansfield and beyond. You'll begin to impact your workplace and your school and your college and your home and your neighborhood as we begin to take the principles, the simple principles of Jesus. I wonder if we'd just bow our heads for a moment. I'm going to ask the guys to just come and join